Danica Patrick, I heard she drives stick. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to Unscripted with Mike and Chris, brutally honest sports talk. And now, here is Mike Jansen. As we broadcast here on uh, Monday, June 1st, hallelujah, we've made it to June. June the 11th, 10 days away, is going to be the start, the the relaunch, if you will, of the PGA Tour season. And they are going to be playing, I believe it's the Colonial Tournament in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, The first four events on the revamped um, PGA Tour schedule, or season schedule, the first four events will be without fans. After the first four events, they will kind of reconvene and figure out where we are in the flattening of the curve and see if we can allow fans back into these sporting events. The U.S. Open is scheduled now in September for outside of New York City, and they're expecting full boat, full go, full fans. It'll be interesting to see. But uh, again, we are as we sit here today on June the 1st, Monday, June the 1st, we are 10 days away from actual competition on the PGA Tour. Rory McIlroy has said he will play the first couple of events, which will always add credibility to any event that Rory McIlroy participates in. Tiger, when will Tiger play again? Probably not until a major championship is my guess. The one regular season event that he may play in, I've heard, might be Jack Nicklaus's tournament, which is scheduled for the end of June, I believe, in the revamped schedule. He will play the Memorial Tournament, potentially, though he has not committed to it as of yet. The reason I'm going here, as we welcome you again to this 514th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris, we are here and hope everything, hope everything in your little corner of the world is as good as it can be during these very unique times that we find ourselves living in. But since we are 10 days away from competitive sports Uh, I know we've had competitive sports, UFC and the rest. We had a car race yesterday that I actually, yesterday was an ugly raining day and I was a little hungover uh, from the party on Saturday night. So I actually watched two laps of a car race yesterday. That's how bored I was. And um, those might be the last two laps I ever watch. A car race without fans is really terrible. (laughs) Really terrible. But that's how bored I was yesterday. But I want to take a look at some of the records and streaks from sports that will never be broken here on this 514th episode. And then I want to I have some news and notes from the National Football League to talk about. And potentially we'll get into some NBA news and notes as well. But I want to take the opportunity because we are seeing the PGA Tour come back in 10 days from today. I want to take a look at some records and streaks from sports that I don't think will ever be broken. And the first couple of them happen to be from the wonderful and wacky world of golf. A lot of you may not know this guy. I think if you're a golf enthusiast, you've probably heard this name before. But the name Byron Nelson, there's a golf tournament named after him. Now remember, this was supposed to be the week, or next week, excuse me, excuse me, next week was supposed to be the week of the U.S. Open. No U.S. Open this year until, I don't know, whenever it is, September, I guess. But this was this upcoming week was supposed to be U.S. Open week, but not now until September. But the first couple on my list of records and streaks from the world of sports that will never be broken. Number one on my list, Byron Nelson, the great Texan. He's from the great state of Texas. 
And this guy won 11 consecutive tournaments in 1945. In total in 1945, he won 18 tournaments. Tiger's, the next best on this list was Tiger Woods' seven straight in 2006 and 2007 are a distant second. But think about it. Now, there are going to be traditionalists that will tell you in 1945 that many of the golfers or some of the golfers maybe were involved in World War II. Maybe. Byron Nelson was considered, what do they call that? I can't remember. There's a term for it when you don't qualify due to medical, a Form F or something like that. You become a category when you don't qualify for military service due to a health problem. And supposedly Byron Nelson, and I don't know what the health problem was, but he was not uh, he was not eligible for military service due to a existing medical condition. So Byron Nelson did what he did, and that's go out and play golf. And he won 11 consecutive tournaments in 1945, and he won, again, 18 total tournaments that year. Unbelievable. Um, this next one on my list, and then I'll let Chris get involved. I've got, a, I've got about seven or eight of them here. I might get to all of them. I might not get to any more after this one. But I wanted to include this one. Because I think it just shows how difficult it is to play golf at the major championship level. I'm talking PGA Tour. I'm talking European Tour, that kind of stuff. Not with Mike and his drunken buddies out there on a Saturday morning. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about big-time PGA and European Tour golf. But this one I have, I really like the uniqueness of this one because people will say that Tiger Woods is 142 consecutive cuts made between 1998 and 2005 on the PGA Tour is a record that will never be broken. And that is true. It will never be broken on the PGA Tour. But you'd have to really be a nerd like I would be, or that I am in regard to sports trivia and sports knowledge to know that Tiger Woods does not hold the all-time professional golfing tour or professional golfers consecutive cuts made of 142. Now, if you people know this lady's name, A, you're lying to me, or you're a bigger nerd than I am. I'm a big nerd in regard to sports trivia, but LPGA Tour player, there was an LPGA Tour player by the name of Jane Blaylock, and this lady made... 299 consecutive LPGA Tour cuts between 1969 and 1980. That is unbelievable. On the PGA Tour after Woods, Byron Nelson made 113 consecutive cuts. And of course, Jack Nicklaus was third on this list with 105 consecutive cuts. But if you ever want to nail somebody on a trivia one, here's a great one. The first one I would tell you is bet your whatever and you tell people that Lambeau Field is not in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and they'll tell you you're full of shit, and then you whip this one out, you'll win a drink in a bar every time because I've won a lot of drinks on this one, and you tell them it's in Ashwaubenon, Wisconsin. Here's another really good one. The all-time consecutive cuts made by a professional golfer, there's the caveat right there, professional golfer is not Tiger Woods, it's an LPGA Tour player by the name of Jane Blaylock. She made 299 consecutive cuts between 1969 and 1980. And I don't care if you're the reincarnation of Cheyenne Woods, which is Tiger's niece, 
or you're coming back as, I don't know, who's the greatest woman golfer of all time? Um, I have no idea. But nobody is going to make the weekend in 299 consecutive golfing tournaments. Ain't going to happen again. That one is a slam dunk. And congratulations to Jane Blaylock for that record. And congratulations if you're a big enough nerd to know that that record is held by Jane Blaylock, not one Eldrick Tiger Woods. Well, the one that always comes to mind for me is plus minus in the NHL. Yep. And, I mean, Wayne Gretzky was actually beaten by someone, which is crazy. I mean, Wayne Gretzky's best plus minus ever was plus 98. I wish it would have been plus 99. That would have been just Wouldn't perfect. Wouldn't have been something, yeah. But Bobby Orr somehow was plus 124 one season. which Really? Is, I mean, it's not even... That's unfathomable. It is. I mean, when you've got... You had the high scoring back in the day, and he was... I mean, he was a defenseman too, but also an amazing offensive presence. And just, I mean, you know, a lot of the guys were not even on close to his level. When you watch his highlights, it's like they're, they're literally pylons. Like, I mean, it's ridiculous. And it was just this perfect storm of things that helped lead to that. But when you are plus 26 more than Wayne Gretzky's best ever plus minus, yeah. playing for the high-flying Oilers, which was still in the 80s. Right. I mean, I don't know. Like, that is that is so unbreakable, it's not even funny. I mean, the only thing that you can even compare that to would be the old-time things like, you know, Pocket Rocket winning 11 cups. Right. You know, I mean, or Bill Russell 9 and 11. Like, th- those types of things, those types of that many championships when there's not many teams and not much competition. Like, then that's... Those obviously are, are unbeatable because comparing winning against 30 teams compared to six is just not even on the same, you know, wavelength at all. So that's what really stands out to me. You know what the one is that I was wondering about? Yes, sir. Uh, The all-time assists in the NBA. So John Stockton's got, what, 15,800 or so? Something like that, yeah. And no one else is over 12-something. So he's about 3,000. Isn't Magic over 12? Uh, Well, I think, anyway, John's about 3,000 ahead of everybody else. All right, yeah, yeah. So he's like 25% ahead of the second best or whatever. So... That is a huge lead. That's like a Pete Rose type lead. Uh, but is there anything inherent about John Stockton that you think makes his record unbeatable? Um, well, first of all, um, he was one of a kind. And to be able to accomplish that, what he did at six foot whatever, and a white guy, um, I, I think obviously um, Unbelievable. I, I, I think I, I would agree with you. I don't think anybody will ever. And I, I, I don't know what made him different. I mean, you've heard me talk many times on this program about vision and how I feel that that differentiates between the average guy and the superstars. The things like Gretzky had it, the way that he could thread passes to different guys. And, you know, he'd see things that the normal person wouldn't see, much less if it was standing still, not going at how many miles an hour on a 200, uh, 200 foot sheet of ice. Um, John Stockton, um, you know, it's really sad when you think about it. I have always said, and I will stay true to this. And and there are always exceptions to the rules because like, does Dan Marino deserve to be in the pro football hall of fame without a championship? Absolutely. The numbers alone. And I feel that's the same way for Carl Malone and John Stockton in Utah with the Jazz because they were unbelievably corner, unbelievable cornerstones for a franchise in the middle of just nothing. And here are these two pillars 
are just unbelievable. And yet, as good as they were, they they never got to put the ring on their finger. And I, I think that's a travesty. So, you know, um, it's just, un, to me, I'm, I'm Scooby-Dooing along here because I don't know what made Stockton. I didn't know John Stockton from John... John Doe. I really didn't because Stockton came out of Gonzaga, Gonzaga, however you want to say it there in Spokane, Washington, and really wasn't highly, I mean, he was a first rounder, but a lot of people didn't know about him, but what he did to change the game of basketball at his size. And I'll always remember John Stockton and Carl Malone besides their unbelievable ability on the basketball court, but those ugly pants that they wore and those those short shorts i mean that was those were terrible so to accomplish everything that that stockton and malone did in an outpost that you know really not a lot of people are going to want to play ball in salt lake city especially african americans and um to accomplish what they did um great tribute and long-winded answer to your question I don't think anybody ever surpasses John Stockton's assist record. No yeah, question. And probably not, but at the same time, it's not inherently unbeatable. Uh, there's nothing that's really changed about basketball that would make it impossible, like expanding from six teams to 30 in the NHL or 31. Right. Uh, that just changes the game completely. So it's not as unbeatable as, say, Pocket Rocket winning 11 cups. Right. But it's still probably not going to be beat. No, I, 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 no, I, I don't think so. Um, I've got a couple others here. Um, baseball, uh, Joe DiMaggio, 56 game hitting streak in 1941. I don't believe will ever get broken. I do believe, and here, listen to this, and you may find this strange, but I was going to put on this list that I don't think anybody's ever going to hit 400 again in Major League Baseball. But if for some way a miracle happens and this baseball season does happen and it's only 82 games, let's mm. say, somebody could hit 400. Somebody could hit 400. In a shortened season like that, now, will they put an asterisk by it? More than likely. But I didn't put uh, somebody hitting over 400 on my list because I think in a shortened season, and especially if they're talking about what the owners are talking about in regard to an 82-game season, I think somebody could eclipse 400 in a shortened season oh, in that I'm, kind of scenario. Imagine, like, if you had a 32-game season, maybe someone hits 500. Maybe somebody hits 500. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got another one here. I'm just looking at for the number here. And, of course, I can't find it when I need it. Um, 4,256 hits, I think, is the number. Of Pete, Pete Rose, Rose, no one's ever going to beat that. No one. Why not though? Um, well, I think the biggest reason to answer your question is that I don't think today's athletes have to play twenty years anymore because of the money that they make, and I don't think there's the desire to play that long anymore because of the money that they make now. Um, I also think because game the pitchers in today's game they become so specialized with bullpen starts and all this other stuff and, and guys are going, you know, three innings and then they hand it to the next guy and they, they go righty, lefty, lefty, righty, and they do all these different combinations. I think that the way they're pitching is different. But I, again, I go back on what I just said two seconds ago. I think the biggest thing is that the players today do not have the burning desire to play 
for as long as Pete Rose did and accumulate all the hits that Pete Rose did for two reasons. A, because of today's athletes, but the biggest thing is, in my opinion, is because of the money that they're making now, they don't have to play as long as, you know, people may not know this, but in the early beginning of Pete Rose's career in Cincinnati, in the early 60s, you know, Pete Rose had a job in the offseason selling cars in Cincinnati. Could you imagine Mike Trout having to sell cars in the offseason or Kristen Yelich or Bellinger or any of the young studs today? No, absolutely not. Bryce Harper would because, well, he's stupid. But um, I just think Pete Rose's 4,256 hits, if that is the number, I think it is off the it, top it of my head. It is his. for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't think that'll ever get, I don't think that'll ever get topped. How, how much do you think being a switch hitter had to do with it? Do you think that helped too? It's a great point. Absolutely, it helped. No question. Great point. Did he? Did he literally switch? Like, if a if a right-handed pitcher is coming up, did he bat left every time, or how did he do it? He did it. You know, he he was self-taught, and and uh, he had a manager in Cincinnati at the beginning of his big league career in 1963, I think it was, and his name was Fred Hutchinson. And Fred Hutchinson was a bit of a ball buster. You know, legend has it he's not around anymore, but he was a bit of a ball buster and was trying to give. Pete Rose ways to improve his game. And he thought because Pete wasn't the biggest guy, Pete wasn't the uh, fastest guy, that maybe if he could bunt from the left side, maybe he could add a few hits to his total. And that's where it started. And that's a great point by you. Um, but yeah, I think being a being a switch hitter certainly helped Pete Rose because, you know, it, it may not seem like a big thing, but Every left-handed hitter, if you look at it this way, every left-handed hitter getting out of the batter's box has a few feet of a head start going down the first baseline. And uh, I just think that's a great point by you, and I think that certainly played a role in Pete Rose with the 4,256 hits. Could we continue on that? I had two questions I wanted to ask you about yes, that. Yes, please. Okay, so if we look at the top 40 hitters of all time in baseball, yeah. only two of the top 40 are switch hitters. Pete Rose. Pete Rose. And number 13, who played 21 seasons, has 3,255. Any guesses who who that would be? Who's the other switch hitter in the top 40? Give me a team. I don't need the name. Just give me a team. A team? Well, I mean, he played 21 seasons, so he definitely played for uh, Baltimore for the beginning of his career, and then the Dodgers, and then the Mets, and then Cleveland. Eddie Murray. You got her. There we go. He's, anyway. going, he's at number 13. And the other thing I wanted to ask you, can you name the top five? Hitters of all time? Yeah. Beat Rose. Mm-hmm. At number one. Okay, who's number two? Ty Cobb. Yeah, 4,189. So Ty Cobb was only 67 hits behind. Yeah. So, yeah. But now he, he also played 24 seasons just like Pete Rose And did. he was also an asshole. So well, people don't really, really, really want to give Ty Cobb any credit at all. He was. And then, was. okay. And then number three is 3,771. So number three is almost 500 hits behind Pete Rose. So that, that and he, this guy played 23 seasons. So he did play one fewer season. But how many hits are these guys getting yeah. in a season? Uh, like what, what's, what would be normal? What's, what's well, a con- a considered a good season is over 200 hits. Yeah, so it's still need two, three more good seasons on top of that. Correct. So, and this is the number three guy all time. So, yeah, number three. Who's number three on hits all time? I know you love this guy. Mm, I know you I love, love this, this guy. guy. I think you love three and four, actually. What team? 
Uh, oh, well, for sure. For sure played for a team called the Braves. Hank Aaron. There you go. Yeah. Hank Aaron, for sure. Um, okay. And then uh, number Willie f- Mays. Uh, nope. Number four was a white gentleman who was born in Donora, Pennsylvania in 1920. Okay. Uh, oh, he, he literally played the entire time for St. Louis. Oh, Stan the Man Usual. Yeah, of course. Oh. And then at number five, I've never heard of this person. With 3,514 hits, bats left. He was born in 1888 in Hubbard, Texas. Way back in the day, played for Boston, Cleveland, and at the end, Washington and Philadelphia. Last season was 1928. I've never heard of this guy. Wow. Um, I have no idea. I'd say Mel Ott, but Mel Ott played for San Francisco and the New York Giants back, and then he had 512 career home runs. I don't know. Who is it? Uh, his name is Tris Speaker. Tris Speaker? I've heard of him. Have you? Yeah, he, okay. played in, he played in the air with Ty Cobb. And then, yes, rounding out the top 10, at number six is Derek Jeter, which is surprising. Number seven, Cap Anson. Number eight, Honus Wagner, who's got the most famous rookie card of all yep. time. Mm-hmm. Number nine, uh, how do you say his name? Carl. Yastrzemski. Yeah, Yastrzemski. And at number 10, good old Paul Molitor. Milwaukee Paul, absolutely. Yeah, you and, you know, Paul Molitor was the face of the Brewers for many, many years, and then he wanted to win a championship. And he went to Toronto and did it in 1993 with the champion Blue Jays. So, Paul Molitor, I think you're going to find this funny, but I've said this on the show before, and I'll say it again. If Paul Molitor could have stayed out of the cocaine and the other things he was doing off the field in his years in Milwaukee, he would have been much higher on that list. He missed a lot of baseball games because of addiction problems, which led to some injury problems in his years in Milwaukee. And he was an unbelievable hitter. And I just think if he could have, you know, he had a pretty bad reputation there for a while in the late 70s and early 80s with the Brewers with a cocaine problem. And if he could have stopped that stupid stuff and then ultimately not gotten injured as much as he did because he was hustling all the time. That was his trademark. And uh, they called him Paul the Igniter Molitor in Milwaukee for his years in Milwaukee. And um, if he just could have kept his nose clean, figuratively and literally, and ultimately stayed off the injured list, I think Paul Molitor would have been much higher on that list than number 10. A couple of real quick ones here. Uh, in this day and age, for the reason I just said a couple of minutes ago in regard to the player's desire and the money that they're making, nobody is going to surpass Cal Ripken's 2,632 consecutive games played over 16 seasons. It'll never happen. Wilt Chamberlain. Now, I'm not going to say 25,000 broads because that's not what this is about, but there was a book. Will Chamberlain in 1961-62 season scored 4,029 points, total points that year, for an annual season average of 50.4 points per game. Nobody, nobody will ever eclipse that one in my mind. That's just amazing. And uh, the thing about it is that year, he was so dominant, 61-62, he averaged 50.4 points per game, and he averaged over 25 rebounds a game. MVP, you think? Um, well, and, and and then, of course, we always have to add Michael Phelps. I've got uh, that. Is going to be a tough 28 one. Olympic medals, 23 of them are gold. I also don't think anybody will ever surpass the L.A. Lakers' 33-game winning streak as a team accomplishment in 1971. And the funny thing is, this is how difficult it is to get to 70 wins, folks. And that's why there's only been two teams in the history of the NBA that have ever gotten to 70 wins in a season. 
the well, we all know the twenty, the nineteen ninety five, ninety ninety six Bulls, and the two thousand and sixteen Golden State Warriors both got over seventy wins. The Lakers win thirty three games in a row in nineteen seventy one and still end up one game short of seventy wins. They ended up sixty nine and thirteen. So, and I always like to find some really. Uh, obscure ones. So I went to cricket and I found a guy <laughs> to cricket. That nice. met from the mid 20th century. His name was Sir Donald Bradman. And I don't really know the scoring in cricket, but this sure sounds dominant to me. So he is considered like by far, like he's the Gretzky, like he's just way ahead of everybody. Right. So the statistic they use is your career test average and they do have some comparisons for us. So he has a career test average of 99.94. Okay. Number two of all time is 60. Point nine seven. Oh my god! So that's almost sounds, forty points different. Like it, so, I don't know how what that equates to, but that's in terms domination of, is what. That but is. when someone's at a hundred and no one else yeah. has more than like sixty, basically. Yeah. Uh, so he said in in Major League Baseball terms because it is a batting sport, so yep. it's similar. He said in Major League Baseball, it's like if you had a career batting average of three ninety two. Like imagine for your whole career, mm-hmm. three ninety two. Uh, or he is saying, uh, if in basketball. You would have to score. You would have to average forty-three points a game for your entire career, is the equivalent. Because the the record for each one, the record for baseball is a three sixty-six average for your entire career. I don't know who did that. Uh, I do recognize this number: thirty point one points per game is Michael Jordan yep. for basketball. I do yep. recognize that one, but yep. that is that is crazy. Like wow. that that guy must have just had like the Ted Williams eye, where he just sees the ball and he can just hit it every time. You know. Well, you know that year with Chamberlain when he averaged fifty point four points per game. That was the year that he had the 100-point game in Hershey, Pennsylvania against the Knicks in 62. So obviously when you have a 100-point game, that's going to do wonders to your per-game average, but uh, unbelievable. Also, we just want to make note, Chris and I had talked about back in episode, uh, our first one today, that we're going to redraft a couple of weeks. We're going to redraft uh, 24 teams. We've contracted six teams already. We're blowing up baseball. We've blown up baseball. We're starting over, and uh, we're going to redraft. Chris, myself, and our buddy Greg is going to be part of this, and we have decided the draft order. And when we do this in a couple of weeks, Chris will have the first overall pick, I will have the second overall pick, and Greg will have the third overall pick. And again, we're looking at that for a couple of weeks as we try to fix what Robbie Manfred can't do, and that's fix baseball. Yeah, and I did just draw the names out of a hat. Yep. Mike saw me. I crumpled them all up so they all felt the same, and I just ended up with the first pick. So basically, you have to decide you know, if I'm taking a pitcher or not is my big decision, I think, because I want to factor in if I was really doing this, and you really have to think about age and potential for your franchise like if you injury got, history yeah for sure but i mean if you've if you've got again again i don't really know who if who would really be a candidate like this but remember when steven strasberg was first overall and he was like the most talented guy ever and, and he's done okay but he's he done very well um just signed just obviously was part of a world series winning team last year with the new montreal expos yeah uh, oh yeah, one other thing. We've moved the Washington franchise back to where where it should be, and that's in Montreal. And, so yeah, and one of one sorry, but one of our twenty four teams will be the Montreal Expo. Yeah. So no Washington Nationals, and we told you the six we got rid of already, and we're changing the name of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim to just the LA Angels. Yeah. You don't need the of Anaheim because that's stupid. Absolutely. Uh, before we get out of here on this five hundred and fourteenth episode, and uh, obviously we get into 
Free Forum Friday, which I'm looking forward to. I did want to make mention of some news that uh, came out over the weekend in regard to the National Football League, and I think this is brilliant. I really do. I don't think it'll happen because, again, I'm not real sold on Jane Goodell's husband, but um, two members of the Philadelphia Eagles, all-pro left tackle Lane Johnson and wide receiver Deshaun Jackson of the Eagles, say that the NFL should start miking up all the players if the league has games without fans. Give the fans the insight that they really want from an NFL game. I want it now. You're going to have to have a seven-second delay on there or something like that because every other word is going to be something that you know you only hear on unscripted. But um, there, obviously there's, there would be some kinks that we'd have to work out. But if you don't have the fans, in, you know, and that's, that's a great thing about watching big-time sporting events to me is the fans and their involvement in it. And if you don't have that, that takes away, for me, that takes away some of the, the uh, I don't know, the ambiance of watching an NFL or an NHL or NBA game or something like that. But my God, can you imagine how cool that would be to have them all mic'd up and they're in the huddle. Hey, Aaron, what'd you do to Danica last night? You know, that kind of stuff. (laughs) Wouldn't that be cool? Hey, I I hear Danica's in town. You know, because this is the honest to God truth. When Rogers was going out with the last one. Olivia Munn. Thank you. Rogers liked to always have a little boom boom before the game. And then he came out and said, Well, what happens when Olivia's not there? And he goes, Well, I take care of myself. Some things we don't need to know about, Aaron. That would be one of them. But I'm telling you, if Danica Patrick's in town, Rogers is going to get lucky and he's going to play a lot better. And besides, now he's pissed off because of Jordan Love. Great year ahead for. Uh, but wouldn't that be funny? You're sitting in the huddle and you go, Hey, Bakhtiari, what'd you do last night? Hey, Bakhtiari, who was that chick you picked up last night? You know, that would be great. Or you go in the huddle and that goddamn Lafleur is such an asshole. Yeah. Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> well, they'll probably be on their best behavior if they're mic'd up. But Well, uh, but you're in the heat of something. And, you know, let's say yeah, Devontae sure. Adams is getting triple teamed because we didn't address our wide receiver problem. He comes into the huddle, forgets he's got a mic on. That fucking coach yeah or that goddamn gutacunst what a fucking moron yeah oh i well, think that would be awesome oh yeah danica patrick i heard she drives stick <laughs> <laughs> boom. boom yes <laughs> the, the aaron Rodgers model <laughs> yeah, oh go. my yeah. god let's go to freeform friday we've got to run on this for 514th episode of unscripted <laughs> we need to run now uh <laughs> So good. I hear Danica Patrick drive <laughs> stick. I love that. Uh, and only the things that you could hear in an NFL huddle. That would be so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a run on this 514th episode of Unscripted. As always, we like to thank you for your continued patronage to Chris and I as we continue to collect subscriptions here on our 18 different ways to listen to Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Hope that you're taking the time to do it. And again, We truly appreciate when you do. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.